Come on. Well, good morning, 1910 Church. How are you guys doing this morning? Oh, come on. I know you... I know you guys can do a little bit better than that. Come on, make some noise if you're excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Come on. Hey, I'm so excited uh, that you're here, and I believe that uh, God is going to speak to you uh, and your situation and your circumstance. And, and really, my hope for you today is that over these next couple minutes that you would uh, learn a thing or two, that you would be encouraged, and that you would walk out a little bit better than the way you walked in today. And that, that, that's the hope. And so I'm excited. Uh, I have the honor and the privilege to share uh, an incredible story with you, the story of Jesus. And I believe it's the best story ever told, and I believe it transforms lives. And so I'm excited to share that with you. But before we do that, first, I want to welcome all of our online family. Welcome, welcome. We're so excited. Come on, make some noise for our online family. Come on, we're excited for them and uh, our incredible team that's in Israel, including our pastors. Can we give it up for our pastors? Come on. Make some noise if you love our pastors. Come on. Give it up for Pastor Jason and Pastor Angie. We're so grateful for you and what you continue to do and pave the way. And so um, before I get into the message for today, I want, us, uh, I want to let you know and I want to remind us that this Thursday, May 4th, is National Day of Prayer. Come on. And, and here's the deal. We have a couple important things for that. But first, I, I, I want to preface this for you guys. Prayer is, just, is not just a thing we do. It's not folding our hands together, closing our eyes, crisscross applesauce, and asking God for, to do things for us, okay? Um, I think we've made it that. But what prayer is, it's the one time that your breath connects with the breath of the creator. The creation connects with the creator. You connect with God in that very moment. And it's the one time that happens is, it's through, is through prayer. And so prayer is powerful, Prayer is vital. It's not just the thing we do, but it's a connection to be made. And so I want to encourage you that this Thursday from, uh, I believe it's 6.30 to 7.30, we're going to be meeting here uh, for National Night of Prayer. And we're going to be praying for our country, for Bernie, for the surrounding areas, for churches. And we want you guys to be a, a part of that. And uh, scripture says that we're uh, Two or more gather, he's, he's present, he's there. And so I just wanna challenge you uh, on that Thursday, if you would carve some time to, to be here and to join us and link arms as we pray uh, for our country and for uh, the surrounding areas. And if you'd say, Mark, I can't make uh, that late, I gotta put my kids away, or I got dinner, I got whatever I gotta be at. Um, that morning from 7.30 to 8.30, uh, we'll be meeting at Mary's, uh, there will be a team meeting at Mary's Tacos and Pastor Ruben will be there. And so uh, we'd love for you to join us for one of, one of those two times. We're excited. A lot of incredible things happening, but uh, we're excited for National Night of Prayer. So uh, we challenge you to, to make some time for that. But how are we feeling this morning? Are we good? Awesome. Hey, I'm excited. I believe God's put uh, a, a word on my heart and I believe it's for our community and for us and to challenge us and to help us uh, grow closer to him. If we've never met before, by the way, my name's Mark. I'm actually not a guest here. I am a member of the 1910 fam. Uh, my wife and I hope have the incredible privilege of pastoring our uh, student ministry, our sixth through 12th grade students. And so if you've never been to that shameless plug, come through. It's amazing. We have a great time. We have fun, but, uh, Hey, I'm excited for today. I believe God's put a word on my heart and I hope that it encourages you. Does that sound good? Is that okay with y'all? Okay. Come on. Let's, uh, if you can, you can open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21, Matthew chapter 21. If you got a Bible and you got it opened up, say, I got it. If you need a minute, say, hold up. Okay. They both? Two for one? I'm just kidding. I'll give you a second. If you don't got a Bible, it'll be up on the screen, our Sky Bible. And so you can uh, follow along with us. 
love me some Otarka water, okay? One day they'll sponsor us as a church and we'll get free water. I'm believing that. I tell our youth that every week. We'll, we'll get a sponsorship by them. You're like, can this guy just get on with the program? I will, okay? Here we go. Matthew chapter 21. This is the gospel of Matthew. So it's the story of Jesus through a man named Matthew's perspective. He was a tax collector. They were uh, very highly frownly looked upon. Um, but here we go. We're gonna start in verse 12 and we're gonna finish up in verse 17. Here we go. This is what the word says. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. What, the, what were they doing? Buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. Jesus says, it is written, he said to them, this is Jesus speaking, my house will be called a house of what? Prayer. Prayer. I need you guys to pay attention to this. He says, my house will be called a house of prayer. But watch what, watch what he says after this. He says, but you, that's you and I, are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. I wanna pause for just a second. I need you guys to see what's going on. We were made for a connection with God. Prayer is that connection. We just talked about it. Prayer is that connection between you and I and God. And what God is saying is he pulled up in here and he said, this temple is for me. It is for you and I to have a connection in it. But what you've done is you've turned this temple into a me-centric gospel. You have turned this temple into a place where you kind of invite me in, but you do your business here. You trade, you sell, you push your business, you do your thing. And God's saying, that's not what church is about. You guys have got it twisted. So he's frustrated. He walks into the situation where the people that were supposed to be his followers ended up creating rules and regulations and using it to benefit themselves rather than benefit the purpose and the will of God. So he gets frustrated. And what happens is, watch this. The lame and the blind and the people that were um, sick were not welcome in the temple at that time. You were to be on the outer of the courtyard. You, they were not welcomed inside. And so I love what this says is because he comes in, he turns these tables and he gets onto them like, what are you guys doing with my church? And all of a sudden you see this very next passage. It says that the lame and the sick, they showed up and it says he healed them. The blind and the lame came to him and he healed them. And then as soon as the religious elites, us Christians, saw what he was doing, I need you guys to see this. It said they were indignant. In other words, they were upset. The Pharisees were upset that God was healing these people that they were oppressing to begin with and not welcoming and saying that this Jesus thing, it's not for you over there, it's just for us. But in spite of, even, even with that going on, we're not gonna make it about you, God. We're gonna do our thing. We're gonna, we're gonna sell and trade for doves. We're gonna care about our currency more than we care about our connection. And so Jesus is frustrated and he ends by saying this. He says, do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Jesus replies, he says, yes. You know what I love about this part is I can just imagine Jesus not saying yes, like a coach getting onto you for the, I can just imagine him looking with just a broken heart towards these religious elites saying, have you not heard? Like, yes. He says, have you not read? From the lips of children and infants, you 
have ordained praise. And it says, and he left them and went out to the city of Bethany where he spent the night. I wanna preach to you a message titled The Secret Thief. The Secret Thief. Will you pray? God, I thank you so much for these moments that we have together, Jesus. I thank you that we are so blessed to have a house of prayer, to have a place where we get to talk about you, where we get to worship Jesus. I thank you for every individual under the sound of my voice that is here today, for all of those watching online. God, I thank you for what you are doing in the greater Bernie area. Lord, we ask today that you would speak to our hearts, you would speak to our situations, you would speak to our circumstances. God, that we would put everything to the side and we would make you the centerpiece and the focal point of our worship time with you, God. We wanna worship you today, Lord. We to praise you. We thank you that you are transforming lives this morning. Speak to us, Jesus. Let it not be about me, Lord, but make your word come alive in our hearts today. And thank you that the LA Lakers are moving on in the playoffs. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, we only got a couple amens because the rest of you in here are Spurs fans. Listen, okay, it's all right. We get it. We're praying for you. You guys had what, 16 wins? Like your high schoolers are older than the amount of wins they had, okay? Y'all need to relax, all right? Now, from now on, since the Spurs are out of the playoffs, we're gonna be Lakers fans, okay? I know pastor's probably getting on us. He's like, he's, you guys are like, he's never coming back now. I'm kidding. Can we have a little bit of fun in church? Is that okay? I'm from Seattle. Have a little bit of sarcasm. We like to have a little bit of fun, but uh, if, if you're not about that, then that's okay. The exit's over there and you probably love cats too. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Or have an Android. All right. Nobody loves the one that has the green text, okay? I'm just kidding. Um, anybody in here have a tough week this week? Is it just me? This week's been a little bit challenging. It's had its, had its obstacles and uh, difficulties. But, um, you know, my wife and I have two incredible puppies. She likes to call them her kids. I don't know what it is with women. Like, their pets are their kids. I don't understand that connection. But she calls them her kids. Anybody in here call their pets kids? Oh, okay. A few of you. You're not alone, babe. <laughs> uh, but she calls them her kids and it always gets me. I'm like, our kids? No, they're not human beings. They're dogs. They're wonderful, but they're not kids. And so I think we got a picture of them up on the screen. There's uh, Zeus and Bentley. Okay. Oh, I know. So cute. Um, the one on the left, he's about three months old. He's a little bit bigger than that now. His ears are fully up now and everything, but he's a German shepherd. His name is Zeus. And then on the right over there, we have Bentley. He's a year and like a month old. He's a mutt. I don't know what he is. He's mixed. He's like a shepherd, Doberman type of thing mixed. Haven't done a DNA test. I guess we'll have to do that at some point. But uh, we rescued him, and so we love him. He's the culprit of today's problem, okay? Um, or last week's problem, really. Bentley, great dog. I love him. He is full of energy. He loves people. He's like the sweetest dog. My wife always says, she's like, he's too good for this earth. I'm like, what does that even mean? He's too good for this earth? Uh, but that's okay. <laughs> I love you. Um, anyways, Last week, uh, we received a gift for our puppy. We got a teething toy for him. It was like, it's like this big circular, I don't know, like a block with like a little bone thingy in the middle. I don't know, you guys can just imagine, okay? And it's got these like little spikes around it. And those spikes, they're meant to help our puppy's gums while he's teething, like to bite on them and help like alleviate that pain and that pressure. Well, um, our big boy, Bentley, he's kind of a brat, okay? Some of us can relate when we haven't had coffee in the morning, okay? It's like us, all right? And uh, he steals all of Zeus's toys. He just takes everything. He gets his face and everything. He begs for food. You could say he's poorly trained. I like to just say he has a lot of energy and he's selfish, okay? Um, but, because I don't take accountability for not training him, you know? Of course not. Um, but, great dog, but he gets his face and stuff. Well, 
he gets to a point where he takes Zeus's little toy that we got, that the thing with the spikes, he takes it and we notice that he's got it in his mouth and he's now broken it into chunks, like that big. He's got these chunks. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I look to my wife. She's like, babe, you better take those out because he's going to choke on them. I'm like, nah, he's good, but all right. Like, I'll, I'll take them out. All right, Bentley, drop it. Like, grab these chunks out and, and we put them away, okay? Get this. We go to bed that night and at some point during the night, this little rascal got out of the bed because we don't, we don't put him in a crate. He's our guard dog, okay? And uh, he goes out and he gets this toy somehow in the middle of the night while we're sleeping. And at five in the morning, I wake up to the sounds of <laughs> and I get, I look under the bed, I turn my flashlight on, it's like five in the morning. I'm not a morning person, y'all, okay? So this is becoming dramatic. I look at this dog and there are chunks of the toy all over the ground. There is yellow bile everywhere. It is absolutely disgusting. Now, mind you, it's five in the morning and my wife is still sleeping. So we can guess who's going to do the cleanup because I don't want her waking up to that stinky smell. So I clean it up. I head to work and I get a call in the middle of the day. My wife's like, he's not drinking water. He's not eating. He's not using the bathroom, but he's still got a pulse. And so of course, naturally I'm like, it's gotta be tied with this. I'm freaking out. So we take him to the emergency and praise God, they did an x-ray on him and they found that the toy is actually in his colon at this point. So good news is we don't pay for surgery. Bad news is we paid for x-rays. And it's like, really? You gotta charge that much for us to read it? I guess so. And so he's gonna be okay. But why do I share this story with you? Because we had told him multiple times to drop the toy and to stop playing with it. Why? We had set boundaries in place because we knew if they were not within that, if he did not play with that toy with the confinements, within the confinements of us watching him and paying attention to him, it could cause harm. Why did he do that? Well, because the dog's thinking about himself. And I just wonder for some of us in this room today, if we've created this narrative in our hearts and in our minds and the way we act, that church is just about us. I just wonder if for some of us today, if we know what God has in store, if we understand that God sets parameters and boundaries in order to keep us safe and to keep us within his will and to take care of us, but because it doesn't really align with what we believe or what we think or how we think he should have responded, I just wonder for some of us, if we kind of invite God a little bit in and then we kind of do our own thing. I don't know about you, but I've found myself multiple times where God has been my side piece and not my centerpiece. And you know what's interesting? Is when something is your centerpiece, everything around it flows to it. Everything around it flows to the center. You know what's interesting when something's to the side? It's only connected on one point. It connects somewhere and that's it. And so I wonder if some of us, we actually feel distant from God, not because God is distant from us, but because we're distant from him because we've made him be the side piece instead of the centerpiece. And you see, these elites, that's exactly what they did. They came to the house of God, to his church, to his building. And you know what they're doing? Ah, uh, we know every scripture. We checked off the box, we're a good moral person. We showed up to church. We came to the temple. But I think they missed the part that's about connection. And I just wonder as a community, have we missed the part that's about connection? Have we missed what it means to have a relationship 
with Jesus, that we would go off and do our own thing because it feels good temporarily, because we don't like what God has to say about it, so we make our own rules, and then we wonder why we're still in the same spot? I just wonder. I think if my dog would have better understanding, he maybe would have never swallowed those toys. And not only that, you know what's interesting? He not only hurt himself severely, but he hurt us. And can I tell you, in our selfishness, in our me-centric approach to the story of Jesus, when we make it about us, you know what we do? Not only do we hurt ourselves, but we hurt those around us. I don't wanna come up to church and talk about my dirt. You know, it's funny, like, we, I shake hands with a lot of people on Sunday mornings, like, hey, how you doing? Good. I got a microphone in one hand, so I can't really illustrate it, but the hand with our dirt, we keep it behind our back because we don't want people to know what our life is really about. You know why? Because we play church. And that's exactly what Jesus came in to overturn. These people were playing church. They had Jesus around their life, but not in their life. They cared more about their currency and their doves and whatever all they were trading there than they cared about a relationship. And I just think that we as a society have fallen into this trap. Ah, oh, well, worship, I didn't really get the tingles. So it must not be that good because I didn't feel those tingles like I did at the conference because I didn't like what the pastor had to say. So now we get into this whole thing where we start comparing every pastor in the area. Like, really? Grow up. Like, that's what we've gotten to? We're gonna compare preachers and worship leaders and whatever, X, Y, and Z. And I'll be the first to admit, have I done that before? Absolutely. I've done that. Is it wrong? Yes. And I just think that we've gotta get back to what it's really all about. He, he tells these people, he's like, guys, you have turned my house of prayer, the very place that was meant to be about connection, you have made about currency. This place was supposed to be a place where people can meet me and get to know me and experience my love and my goodness, but you've made it a place where you make money, where you push your agenda, where if it doesn't go the way you want to, it's not real church. And Jesus was like, you have turned this house of prayer into a den of robbers. And I titled it Secret Thief because I think maybe most of us in this room would say we're familiar with the verse, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We love to blame the enemy. And I'm not saying there's not a devil. Oh, I know. He's had God on, on his heels from the beginning. He's been trying to put God on, on to kind of be seen by the world as this bad God, and he's been trying to come after us. And I believe that the enemy's prowling. Scripture is clear about that. But I wonder if we've ever had a part to play and never assumed our responsibility for our actions and our decisions. I just wonder. We love to blame the enemy, but I wonder if all along we've been the secret thief because things in church aren't the way we want it to, so we stop inviting people. We stop inviting our friends. We stop telling the community about the good news of Jesus because we didn't like a worship song. And you know what you're doing? You're holding people from him. You're no different than the Pharisees who would not allow the lame and the sick who needed him to come in the courtyard. 
They held them out while they did their shenanigans. Like, that's not who Jesus is. And I don't know if you've been pushed out by Christians, mean Christians, they exist. Pastor said last week, right? Gandhi said, I love your Christ, but I don't really love your Christians. It's because we've represented him poorly because we've made it a den of robbers instead of a house of prayer. And did you see what happened when Jesus came in and healed these people? The minute Jesus steps foot, everything seems to kind of, he turns the tables, but everything kind of seems to come together. All of a sudden, these people that were no longer welcome in the courtyard, all of a sudden we see that they're here and they're being healed. And what's the response of the Pharisees? It says they were indignant. In other words, they were upset. They're like, why don't we get to experience these miracles? Why don't we get to experience what you're doing? We know every rule. They knew the law, but they didn't know the Lord. They allowed the law to lord over their life. And I wonder if some of us, that's kind of how we approach our life, our faith life. Every scripture, we take stuff out of context and make it fit according to our need. And this person can't do this and they can't do that. And I just, we've held people away from Jesus and that's not his heart. And these elites were so mad. But can I tell you something? You, you cannot expect God's provision when you won't even praise him. Okay, let, let, me, let me teach you for just a second. This word praise, you can't praise something that is below you. You can only praise something that is above you. Praise is for something that is more worthy. And can I tell you something? God cannot praise himself because he is the top. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the creator. There is nothing higher than God. So he cannot praise himself. The Hebrew word is tehillah. Don't confuse it with tequila. Tehillah. Did you really say that in church? I did. Get over it. It's okay. There's people in the streets hurting. You want to argue if I said tequila in church? That's fine. Tehillah. To praise him. That is the only thing we give God that he cannot give himself. And that is what this house was meant to be. A place of connection where you get to connect with the divine. Where you get to meet the Lord. Why didn't they experience the goodness in the, I, I, let, let me, let me say this. Why didn't they experience the fullness? Cause you can experience God's goodness and miss the fullness. You can experience moments and in incredible worship, uh, times of worship, but you could miss what God is really trying to do. It could tingle and feel good. And you miss the whole point. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, these Pharisees missed the point. And I think some of us are playing church and we're missing the point because we have failed to realize that Jesus is the savior, not a supplement. He is not the probiotic to your meal. He is not your side piece. He ought to be the centerpiece. And until that gets reorganized and he becomes the center of your life, you will continue to feel the way that you have felt. And I don't mean to make you feel unfortunate because actually this is good news. This is good news. 
that your behavior, that your actions, that's how you, that how you dress does not play a part in God's love for you. You cannot do anything to make him love you any less. Do you know that church? Do you know that it's not by your action and by your might that you are saved? I'm not talking about faith and I'm not talking about walking more like Jesus. I'm talking about strictly salvation, okay? To be saved, we've gotta believe in our heart and confess with our tongue that he is Lord and we are saved. Let me make that clear for you. Some of y'all wanna walk around and say faith without works is dead. Yes, that's scriptural, but that's not talking about salvation. That's talking about something called sanctification. That means our daily walk with God once we've already received him to be more and more like him. That is what that verse is referring to. Your works, they're not what make you make God love you more. And so I just wonder, these Pharisees, that's exactly what they were doing. They were trying to get God to love them more, but in the process, what they failed to realize is they were diluting the gospel and making it a me-centric gospel. And I think that's what we've done as a society. That if it's not about me and if it, God doesn't meet my needs, you ever noticed that so often when we pray, we pray about our needs, not God, let your will be done, but we're like, God, help me with this. And I think that's fine. I don't think there's anything wrong with you asking God for something. But you notice how often we think about ourselves more than we think about the bigger picture? Y'all ever notice that? I catch myself all the time praying, God, heal this, God, do this. And I got friends who don't even know Jesus, but we'll sit here and talk about Calvinism and argue about that for hours with people in the church. What do they believe? It's like, I don't have time to argue with people that are saved. There's people in the streets dying. And that's what Jesus said. You guys are so focused on yourself and you're trading and doing your thing in church. And there's people on the outside looking in that are being oppressed in the process and that are hurting, that are crying out for you. And Jesus looks at them and he says, from the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. Have you never read? Have you never read? that we've got to have more childlike faith. We've got to stop treating God like a supplement, guys. 1910, that's not going to take us anywhere. We're not going to make it putting God as the side piece. He's got to be the centerpiece. Mark, you don't know what I'm going through. I'm on the brink of divorce. My marriage is falling apart. I'm losing friends in my life. My business is crumbling. My anxiety is crippling me. I can't even get out of bed. I'm trapped in an addiction. Can't let go of that beer bottle. Can't stop looking at those images online at night. It's so bad, Mark. I have nobody to tell. My wife doesn't know. My kids don't know. My family's falling apart. And I feel for you but have you placed Jesus as the centerpiece of your life? Because here's what I know. The minute that he steps in, the tables turn. He will flip those tables, but you've gotta be willing. You've gotta be able to walk in obedience and say, God, I trust you. We've gotta put our pride to the side, but we're walking around playing church and giving people advice that we don't even take for ourselves. Can I tell you something? You can't give what you don't possess. You can't. I'm sorry, you can't help somebody when you can't even help yourself. 
You ever notice in an airplane, they say, put your mask on first before you help the other people? Because you can't help them if you can't help yourself. And don't mistake it. I'm not saying the gospel is a help yourself thing because I know that's a whole fad right now. Treat yourself. I'm gonna just sit in all day because I deserve it. Okay, I get there's rest, but there's also a thing called being lazy and we've got to stop being lazy and being cheap with God because that's not what it's about. And I think what we've done is we've robbed people of the gospel because we're afraid to come up to the altar because we're afraid to confess that we've never accepted Jesus because we keep the dirt behind our hands and we don't want to let people know that we've cheated, that we've lied, that we've stolen, that we've ripped people off because we are ashamed. Shame is not from God. I heard a mentor once tell me this, that shame is not from God, but a little bit of guilt reminds you that you know the right from the wrong. We don't gotta live in shame because shame tells us to keep going back. Look what you did. I think guilt reminds you, hey, don't do that again, move forward. I think that's what guilt does. But I think we're so afraid of people judging us. And I love this. My wife always, I believe she, she told me one time, she was like, it's so interesting because the generation that we live in now, the older you get, it's almost like people become more judgmental of the mistakes you made. It's like the older you get, people expect you to have it together. That's where we've lost it. Because we got an older generation that's making mistakes because they're human beings, mind you, and we're crucifying them. You shouldn't do that at 60 years old. What's wrong with you? And Jesus is like, that's not what it's about. I don't care if you're 15 or 78. I don't care if you just got, came out of the womb or you're on your deathbed. I'm for everyone. Keys can come on up. Close it out and make it sound more spiritual than it really is. <laughs> come on, it's a tough crowd this morning. but can we stop playing church? That's not how we represent Jesus to the community. Can we stop acting like we have it together? Can we stop treating church like a den of robbers? Can we stop being the silent thief and robbing our friends and our family? Because what you're doing when you're ashamed of the gospel, you are robbing God of his magnitude. I'm not saying that you are strong enough to take something from God, but what I'm saying is that you, he has picked you and chosen you to inspire those around you. We are not the gospel. We are used in the gospel. And so what happens is when you're ashamed to share what he's done in your life and the transformation he's made because you're afraid of what people think, what you're doing is you're actually not giving people permission to step up into restoration. And so what you're doing is just like my dog took that toy out of context and out of boundaries, you're doing the same thing and you're hurting not only yourself, but you're hurting those around you. And you wonder why Billy won't come to church because he sees that you treat God like a side piece and it's kind of like whatever, so he thinks he can do the same thing. You're like, why can't I inspire a generation? Why can't I get my kids to come to church? Because you tell them it's okay if they stay home. And I'm not here to tell you how to parent. Please hear my heart. I'm just simply saying that you have influence and the religious elites had influence within the temple. They just didn't use it for the right purpose. It's time to break free. There's freedom and there's restoration and there's healing to be done. And I just think that we've missed it. We've focused too much on 
how we can benefit rather than how can everybody else benefit. Because can I tell you something? When Jesus becomes the centerpiece of your life, watch how the things around you begin to shift. Just watch. Watch how your relationships start to develop. People look at you and they're like, you've changed. Y'all's marriage looks different. What happened? Your kids, mom, dad, what's, something's different. Yeah. What's going on? I don't know. But Jesus, I don't know what's changing. All I know that it's just God. I need him. Well, come, come experience it. Come to church. Open up the word of God. Start inviting God into your situations and circumstances. Start praying, church. Doesn't have to be weird. It's like, God, here I am. This is where I'm at. Help me. Let your will be done. And I know there's young people in this room too. You are this generation. It's time to step up. It's time to stop flaking on youth group and church. And it's time to start making Jesus the centerpiece of your life and watch how that begins to expand. God never said you couldn't be successful and have him in your life. Culture has made it be that. If I got Jesus, I'll never have six zeros in my bank account. He never said that. He just said, if you idolize it and put it above everything else, it will hurt you. And that's true. How many times have we seen marriages crumble at the expense of work? How many? We have the highest divorce rate in this country. Last I checked, it was like 52%. And I just wonder if we've failed to place God as the centerpiece. And I'm, I'm gonna close out right here. I'm done. How do I know God is for everybody? from the elite to the lowest of the low and everything in between. In John chapter two, this very same story occurs. It's the story of the courtyard and Jesus flipping the tables. And then you fast forward to John chapter three and you know where we find Jesus? We find him hanging out with the Pharisee. Remember those guys, the religious elites? His name was Nicodemus. And he showed up to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know you are the son of God because without God, you would never be able to perform these miracles. And so they get into a conversation. That's where we get that famous verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That was Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. You think you're too far gone down this religious trail? I don't care if you're 78. He's ready for you to turn it around. You think you're too dirty for church? Fast forward to John chapter four. You know where Jesus is found? At the well with this woman who was a Samaritan. Mind you, Samaritans did not talk to Jews at the time. It was a big no-no. Not only that, but let's top it off with this. She had had five husbands and the man she was with right now wasn't even her husband. She was the lowest of the low in that society. And where is Jesus? At the well. The well is where you would get married. Typically people would connect there, but he was at the well to give this woman new life. And I believe he's meeting you today at your well to give you life. And if we would be willing to say, I'm done stealing, 
I'm done, metaphorically speaking, robbing God of these things. And I'm willing to step into a relationship with him where the tables begin to turn. If you would be willing to invite him into your life, 1910, watch what's gonna happen. Watch him heal, restore, and turn your land around. I'm done playing church. I believe that today, the divine wants to meet with you. You have an opportunity. He gave his life on a cross and he hung there for hours as he bled. The scars on his back, the gashes and the blood flowing as he gave his life. He suffocated in his blood for you and for me so that we could have a relationship. Not so that we could hold people from him, but so that the tables would turn. That every person, it is not his will that any person shall perish. None. But in his sovereignty, he gives us free will. And you have a decision to make. Am I going to step into that relationship? Am I going to make him my savior and no longer a supplement? He's for you. He loves you. He will continue to fight for you. You are not too far gone. You are not too cool or too nerdy or too pretty or too ugly or too good or too bad. All have fallen short of the glory of God, but by his stripes, we are healed. With every head bowed and every eye closed in this room, if you're in this place today and you'd say, you know what, Mark, something resonated with me today. And today I'd like to accept the free gift of forgiveness and grace that is only offered through Jesus. I accept him as my Lord and my savior. With every head bowed and every eye closed in this private moment, I'm just gonna ask you on the count of three to just slip up your hand. And the reason I do this is not to embarrass you or to call you out, but I just believe when you respond on the outside to what's happening on the inside, it becomes a little more real for you. So on the count of three, if that's you and you'd like to accept Jesus today, one, two, three, that's me. That's me. That's me. I'd like to accept Jesus. That's amazing. Yep, I see those hands. You can put them down. I see those hands. If you're in this room today and you'd say, Mark, I believe that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior, but I haven't walked like that. I haven't made him my centerpiece of my life. He's been a side piece for a long time. I may read my Bible. I might play church and show up, but he's not taking hold of my life. And today I want to turn around and walk with him. If that's you on the count of three, would you just slip up your hand? One, two, three, that's me. I just need to turn around. Look at those hands. There's no shame. There's no shame. We got to come back. Jesus tells us that he ran after his son and he's running after you. So father, we thank you that you are sufficient, that you are the author and finisher, the perfecter of our faith. Lord, I thank you that you are a savior, not a supplement, God. God, I thank you that you are the centerpiece and the focal point of our life in this existent, God. Lord, I thank you that today we can step in to a relationship with the divine, that you are all we need. Lord, we love you and we thank you. I thank you for every individual that said yes to you this morning. We are ready to praise you, Lord. Tehillah, Lord, let us praise and worship you for your goodness. In Jesus' name.